Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I really enjoyed uh, that. I think all you done very well in presenting it. Probably those that listened to you on the phone didn't make a whole lot of sense, maybe on Nathan's, but um, yeah, it was fun to to see that. Um, yeah, what I guess is really encouraging to me was the the idea of people wanting to be with other people, and that's that's a blessing because that should be every heart's is. To be wanting to be around people, I think, like I said earlier on in in this whole thing, I think um, some people prefer not to be with people, but yet um, we need we need each other, whether they, we all agree or not. But we do need each other, and we have seen that in the last six weeks. I was thinking on what to share this morning and not realizing this is probably, could be our last time here. But I was, um, I thought of a lot of times what Rush Limbaugh says on a situation arises. He says, this is a teachable moment. And I was wondering, of using this coronavirus as a teachable moment of teaching to our children, you know, this, are they grasping what is taking place, and do they understand the implications of it? And maybe we, to be like a child, should be like them, not fearing the future and just trusting in, a, in their father. But I was thinking of this, and as I was going through that, I was thinking maybe this is something for all of us, not only teaching our families these three basic truths, but more than that, teach the, um, we should live that in our lives and make that a, a first in our lives. I want to go to Genesis 1.1, and this is the first basic truth, I think, that we should all grasp and we should teach with all diligence to our children that there is a God, and there is more than just saying there is a God because there's a lot of gods in the universe and a lot of people claiming, or a lot of, not necessarily people, but a lot of things um, people turn to, like um, to, to meet their basic needs as far as our desires. Um, a lot of times we worship money or we worship cars or we'll worship um, well, you can fill in the blanks there. And sometimes our children see that. You know, we should desire uh, jobs and we should desire stuff, but yet that's not what we worship. And maybe our families do at times see us worshiping those things, and that's what they see as being a God. But... There is a God, and if you go to Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens, the heaven, and the earth. I said heavens, but it's just one. He created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, and the void and darkness was upon the face of the deep, 
and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God created. And I want to go to chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. It kind of a brief history of, of, of what he created. And these are the generations, Genesis 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into its nostrils and the breath of life and man became a living soul. <clears throat> so there is, if we see in this, everything that we see, if you look up, see in this earth, or maybe if you study those things which are below, we're created by God. There's nothing, and I like what Colossians says along with that. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17 it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So do you get the picture? There is nothing in your life that wasn't created by God. Think of the, um, the whole world, all the different kingdoms, the different thrones, the, the powers that people have and the powers that are above, all were created by God. It is hard for us to maybe to grasp that because we've been taught so much that we just, you know, you go to a, a, um, a cave or something, and, you know, and people will say, well, this stalactite was here for billions of years, and this is um, the result of it. And we go to other places, and they say, well, you know, this is a billion years old, and life has been here forever. And we've been taught that life is going to continue on forever, and we need to make the world better because it seems like it's getting worse. So we need to watch what we do with the pollution and atmosphere and so on. So there's, there's a, we're just embarred by so much of that, and that's taught to us. And I think that's one area that we should really teach our children, that there is a God, and we should live that in our life, that there is a God, not multiple gods, but one God. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 23, it says, And he said, Lord God of Israel, this is Solomon talking as he's dedicating the, the temple, he says, the Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee. There is no God like thee. In heaven above or in the earth beneath, who keepest 
covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. And thinking of, of, of that, in there is nothing um, in this world that can give us mercy and peace as what this one God can give us. In 2 Samuel 7, 22, it says, Wherefore thou art great, O God, Lord God, for there is none like unto thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. So what, what kind of God is being presented to our children and to us? Maybe if you're struggling with this whole idea of, you know, sometimes if you let your imagination wander, you know, you can say, well, yeah, God created this and this, but then who created God? And that's beyond our imaginations. We can't even imagine it. We can't even, we have no, no idea. But we simply believe in, in faith. But <clears throat> like I said, we're taught that there is no God. We're taught that God is a God of wrath. You know, if, if he created hell, then, then God is a God of wrath. And I don't want to serve a God like that. And some say that God is a God of love and there is no such thing as hell. I like what it says in Matthew 5.41. He says, hell wasn't created with people in mind. And I think that's a, a reassuring to me. God didn't create hell to destroy his people. Matthew 5.41 says that God created hell for the devil and his angels. And then, uh, another portion, he says that all those that serve the devil. So there you go. We, the... Uh, and then he says that the heaven was prepared for people. You know, God is preparing a place. So he's giving, he's preparing something that is for us. And he desires is not his will that any should perish, but he's desiring for us to come to, to be with him. He created hell for the devil and his angels, period. But yet all those that, choose to follow Satan will eternally be in hell with, with Satan and his angels. And those that choose to follow him will be in heaven. So basically, there are two options in this world, and that is to follow God and believe that God is and that God is the God of the universe or believe that he's not. And you may say, well, what if I believe in the, in the Bible, or I believe in God, but yet my life follows after Satan? What happens there? Well, who are we a servant to? You know, we say, well, we believe, but the devils also believe. So do we need evidence today that there is a God? When we consider the heavens or the human body, what more evidence do you need? You know, think about 
of Psalms says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. What more do you need when you look at your body and how it functions and how it, it was put together? You think of this little virus and what it can do to, to a body. And we think of the heavens. When you look at the heavens, the stars, and you look at all that's taken place, and if you realize how everything is to the perfection, you know, here we are, You'll read in Job where we're just floating. The earth is just floating in the, the whole atmosphere, and we're not falling, and we're not going anywhere. Gravity is, is the same, and, and it's just the right dimensions to keep everything working together. So we say there is no God, and that just all happens. I think that takes a, a lot of faith to believe that, or a lot of foolishness to believe that there is no God when you consider everything. My pages are sticking together. Second thing I'd like to look at that we really should teach, be teaching our children through this time is the Word of God is the most important thing in our life. You know, we can believe that there is a God, but how do we know how God is working in our lives we can just go to the Word of God and be reassured that He is. If we go to John 1, one, I think I'll read the first four verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So who was this word? We jump down to verse 14. It says the word was made flesh. So who was the word? It was Jesus Christ. He was made flesh, but he was there at the creation of the whole world. So I look at the Bible and, and I'm guilty of it sometimes. I'll, I'll, I'll make the comment, well, Peter said this, or Paul said this, or John said this, or this is what um, different writers have said. But in Second Peter, we get the idea of how the, the Bible was put together. It says, Second uh, Peter 1, 20 to 21 Knowing this first, that no prophet, prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So in other words, nothing in here, from the Genesis all the way down to, to Revelation, any prophecy that was um, said, anything, did not come from individuals or private interpretation. This was not what Paul said, or this is what Paul believed. Well, he believed it, but he wrote it because he was uh, the next verse. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God, as 
uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So basically you can say the book was written by the, the Spirit of God, moving upon the men of God to share the Scripture with us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, uh, he talks about the inspired Word of God being inspired for others. Um, 2 Peter 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the word of God is there, and it's the complete Bible is there, so sometimes if you don't quite understand what is being said here in the New Testament, go back to the Old Testament and look how um, lots of times you can fill in the blanks there and it makes a lot more sense. Or go, go to the Jewish customs and learn how the, Jewish, the Jews do and you'll see how, uh, understand more of how it's been put together. But, the Word of God is for doctrine, or it's instruction. It is teaching us who God is, how He wants us to live, and how all the future is planned out. And I think you'll see, we're living in a time where we see lots of time God would bring famines and pestilence and, and things into people's, uh, into the, the lives of country to get their attention. And I wonder if this isn't a, a, a tool that God is saying, wake up, people. The time is drawing near. Be prepared. Be ready for my coming again. And then it's for correction, uh, reproof. The, the word of God is a conviction of sin. Scripture gives us evidence of what is sin. So if we don't know what sin is, read the Scripture. Uh, read how, what God wants of us, and, and God, the Spirit will then come into our life and convict us of our sins. So it's, it's a way of reproving us. And it's for correction. It's for straightening up, to bring us back to the target. You know, we were in the right spirit at one time, but because of, the, the, because of Adam and Eve, I guess, because of the sin, the sin nature coming within us, we're not following, we're not going to the right target. We're, we're focusing on self, and we're going, um, yeah, our target is not where, where God's target is. And so he will bring us back to where we reach his target, and that's to be with him and to be, um, that last verse says, to be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good work. So that's bringing us back to, what God desires of us. And then as for instruction, it's instruction in righteousness, teaches how to have a godly character, to be accepted by God. So we all have that desire to want to be accepted by God, and we say, well, how, what do I need to do? What, you know, I need to do all these good works. Um, what, what is best, what's not? Well, God says, Read the Word of God, or 
there in Timothy, he says, read the word of God and that will instruct you of what is truth. And then he talks about, or what is righteousness. Then he shares a little bit in Romans 15, verse 4 that I like. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, so what was written in the past, were written for our learning. So we can learn from other people's mistakes. We can learn, you know, of what, why God sent these things into our lives. It's like I say, sometimes it's to bring us back, to, to make us aware that life isn't going to be like this forever. You know, I grew up um, at a home where mom had grew out of not having, mom and dad not having much. And they talked about those times. And it seems like, you know, when mom and dad started um, home and brought children into this world, and it seemed like the society has just seemed to get better and better. You know, the wages increased, more jobs. There's been some up and down economically, but it seemed like we've been to our point in life, it's been good. And we, there's been very few famines and stuff that has affected us. There's been some dry seasons and stuff, but anyways, this is an opportunity to teach our children that life is not always going to be like you've seen it or I've seen it. Preparing this, preparing them to go through rough times like our grandfather and grandmothers have done. And I think that, you know, as we look at the, the world and how it's progressed and how we've prospered and things have gotten better, but I think people have gone further and further away from God in the process of that. And I think even churches have come to that point in life where everything is about, about themselves and not, about, um, not so much about God. So God has given us these instructions and these words. So we believe that there is a God. We believe that the word of God is true. The third thing I'd like to challenge you with is the fear of God. Do we have a fear of God? Now, when I talk about fear, you may say, well, fear is, you know, you run away from it. Like, I fear man, I run away from man. I fear those lions, I run away from the lions if I can. But this fear that God's talking about is, is a fear that draws us to him, not away from him. And I would like to read a verse here in Matthew 10, verse 28. Now, this was in the setting of there was persecution going on there. So Jesus was teaching them about that. And then he comes to verse 28, says, Fear not them which kill the body and are made and are not. Now, let me start over. Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear them which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We're fearing the wrong people. You know, I think sometimes we, we have this 
great fear of sharing the gospel to other people because of maybe what they'll say and so on. But there's no fear of God in, in that. And I would like to encourage us that we should fear. And the reason we should fear is God is able to send us to hell, to accept us or send us to hell. He has that power to do that. And we should understand that he is able to do that. He is able to kill or to destroy both soul and body. Man can, can destroy the body, but our soul will live lives forever, even after our body is dead. That's where God comes into the picture. But have a fear of that. That, that, I guess what I'm, to have a fear of hell, maybe I should say. I should be blunt, I guess. To have, but to have a fear of hell enough that I run to God to find out what is it that you want me to do? What do I need to do to be accepted by you? What, what are your guidelines? What are your requirements to be accepted by you? That's the fear of God that he, that he desires for us, is that we realize the consequences of sin, of consequences of not pleasing God, are so great that we run to him to find out how we can please him. Thinking of the fear of God, the fear of God causes us to flee evil, that's in the scripture also. Some of these I didn't write verses down because I didn't know how many verses we want to turn to, but the fear of God, of God allows us or causes us to depart from evil because we understand this, what we're, we're struggling with and what we're dealing with. And I think the first time that it was mentioned about God fearing, uh, wanting us to fear him was in a, a setting of, of sexual sins that the people were doing back then. But he wants us to, if we're addicted to anything in our life, pornography, tobacco, or whatever um, we're addicted to, to have a fear of where that is leading me. And the fear that God wants us is to flee that and run to him because of the fear that we have of missing the mark. And then the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that is understanding life. And again, we have to read the, the, the scripture to be able to get this fear. And many times we have looked in the past of the fear of God speaking to people. Like uh, I wrote down a couple of Moses appeared before God or God appeared before Moses, and Moses hit his face. Um, we looked at, at Paul. Paul trembled, trembled in great fear because of realizing who God was. If you go to Revelation, John fell, at, fell dead before Christ because of who he was. And I would just like to encourage you 
or maybe maybe not so much. Yeah, I do feel like we should teach that, but I, I guess I was thinking, how do we teach the fear of God to our children? You know, sometimes I think our presentation of why we do things that are in Scripture, we say, well, that's what the church says. Well, that's what the Bible says, which is true. That's what the Bible says. But we don't put the fear in that why we don't do that. You know, why I don't steal. It isn't because that I might get caught and go to jail, which is part of it. But it's, it's the why I don't is because I'm going to spend eternity away from God is why I don't. Give, a, give them a fear to the point of not afraid of God, but a fear of what the consequences of that, that sin is. And I think because of the lack of, sin, uh, lack of fear in, in churches' lives, which is made up of people, so you can say the people's life, is there's some effects to that. For one thing is no one seeks God. You know, everything's good. I trust in God. I go to church. I pray. But do I really seek him? Do I study the scriptures? Do I, in my devotional, when I come across some things, do I really study it out? Or do I just read over, oh, yeah, and go on with my life? Life is all about us. And I think even in the church discipline, sometimes it's, it's so hard because of the lack of fear of God in our hearts. You know, someone who is excommunicated, it's like, oh, well, I just go to another church because there's no difference. It makes no difference to me. I'm still who I am, and there's no fear, fear of God. And I think sometimes the fear, the, without the fear of God, it destroys our influence in reaching out to others. You know, others look at us and say, well, I don't see much difference in you than for me. And if you go to First Peter 3, it talks about reaching out to an unsaved husband. And the way that you would do it is living that life in the fear of God. And he's able to see that and see that fear that you have there. From creation to the flood, God allowed people to do whatever they wanted. And they were evil. From the flood to Christ, God gave some laws, some boundaries, the Ten Commandments, and wanted the people to live, but yet the people were evil. After Christ, God gave us the Spirit within us to control us, to, to live within us, and yet people are evil. And even when we come to the thousand-year reign, um, the perfect kingdom of Christ ruling here on this earth. And yet this people will still be evil. So how do we get this fear of God into the people's lives? How do we get this fear of God into the, into the churches? I think sometimes, um, you know, you take the, the church 
and you say, well, I want to just follow God. I don't need guidelines. I don't need rules. And so we go that direction without the fear of God. What happens? We become like, like the world. Or we take a church who has you know, guidelines and principles that we live, and we don't have the fear of God. Where are we going to end up? Very fair cycle. And I think that's an area that we, the outward, we set the standards, but the inward, we kind of live our lives the way we want to live. And that is wrong. I mean, that will lead us to the same place. Only living, guiding fear of God will keep us and the church in a right relationship with him. So how do we get that fear of God? And I was thinking about that. Maybe God needs to, well, this virus may be one of it, but if you go to Acts chapter 5, in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira were, they came and they lied to the Spirit, and they were destroyed, or God took their lives. And it says that the church had great fear. And I can't imagine that if people today would be taken, their lives be taken if they were caught stealing or caught lying or caught with fornication or stuff. If people would see that, we would say, yes, we would fear. But yet, God wants to have us to have that fear without us seeing people's lives being taken. So read his word, get to know who God is, understand who God or the power of God, understanding how everything was created by him, and understanding that there through the reading of the scripture that there is a a hell, there is a a miserable life here on this earth without Christ. And then I would encourage you to fear, fear with all of your heart and teach it to your children to fear God that we all would, yeah, basically follow him and put our trust in him. And even through hard times, we will still put our faith and trust in him. So thank you and Lord bless you as you Continue this next week.